Okay, good. I think Joe. I had trouble be. getting back in. Yeah, we did too, but I think we're in now. Okay, we gotta go. We're gonna start. Okay, we had some slight technical problems. Oh, Recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, October 8th, 2010. Today is episode 182, and we're coming to you from Studio C in beautiful downtown McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Cliff Slotnick, or the Z-Man. Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe, is participating remotely today from lovely Indian Lake, Pennsylvania. At the controls again this week is our engineer, Austin Powers Novak. Hello. Allow myself to introduce myself. My name is Austin Danger Powers. Danger is my middle name. Today's segments include the IAQ radio trivia question, an interview with Natalie Hinden Coolis of Agilex Fragrance, Halftime, and then we conclude with the Roundup. We've been updating and adding a blog to the IEQ Radio website every week after the show. Check it out at www.ieqradio.com. First, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at John Don, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. To contact the show by phone, simply call 724-444-7444 and enter our show ID, which is 1547. You can also download the show by going to our website, www.ieqradio.com, following the links that say go to the show, and the show is accessible from iTunes. Don't forget, you can get your ABIH CM points, IICRC continuing education credits, or ACAC renewal credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting a quiz. uh, Radio Joe's email is joe.use at ieqtraining.com. Our email addresses are also on the homepage of ieqradio.com. Last but not least, please visit the IEQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at ieqtraining.com. Trivia time. Trivia time. 
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show via your computer, just text in your answer. Congratulations. To Scott Armour of Armour Applied Science in Broadview Heights, Ohio, for answering last week's trivia question, correctly identifying the term bad faith lawsuits as notable for resulting in large awards of punitive damages. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, October 8th, 2010 has been sponsored by Cochrane and Associates, the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Cochrane and Associates has created IEQ TV, the IEQ Video Network, the industry's portal for news and information relating to indoor air quality issues. IEQ TV is the place to be. Visit them at IQTV.com. Now for this week's trivia question Name the medical malady of loss of the sense of smell. Now let's tell you a little bit about today's guest. Natalie Hinden Kulis has been in the fragrance industry for over 30 years. Graduating from Clark University with a BA in biology, she began her career in quality control on the manufacturing side in the fragrance business and then moved into fragrance development, joining Revlon's research and development group in 1981. She spent 20 years at Revlon, progressing to Vice President of Product and Fragrance Development with worldwide responsibility for fragrance. Natalie rejoined the marketing side in 2000 and now runs the creative and regulatory groups for Agilec Flavors and Fragrance in New Jersey. Uh, how about our intro music, Austin? You smell so good Like a ball of circus candy Or the fine bouquet of brandy or tea Oh baby You smell so good To me Okay, good afternoon Natalie and thank you for joining us on IQ Radio today Well hi Cliff, I'm very happy to be with you How are you? We're doing well, we're doing well well, we've got a lot of people listening uh, that are, you know, dialed in, and also this is recorded and archived, so, you know, the majority of the listeners download it later. So we want to get some technical information from you. You know, can you define the word fragrance? Fragrance is a term that's used for a group of materials which can be either from natural origins or they can be synthetically derived materials all having uh, an odor quality to them, each material having an odor quality, that are put in combination uh, into a mixture that's used for the purpose of scenting. Okay. Joe? What role do these fragrances play in, you know, in our life uh, or in the life of, say, an average adult in the United States? Uh, a lot more than anybody would ever really think about. Um, Maybe in the morning before you leave the house, you might have come in contact with uh, six to 12 different fragrances. There is fragrance in most products that everyday people are using every day. Things like your bath soap, your shampoo, your lotion, your hair gel, the deodorant you put on, the facial cream you use. Um, it's a very important product in everybody's life, and I think we're not always aware of how much and how many different fragrances we come in contact during the course of the day. So, in general, it's there a lot, 
And we think that it usually makes things smell good and makes people feel pretty good. Um, Natalie, is it or does a fragrance company such as Agilex uh, typically patent their fragrances? And if not, how do manufacturers protect their intellectual property? Uh, we don't patent. Um, most fragrances cannot be patented. They're mixtures, um, sort of, they're very, uh, I, I would say what, what would be a comparison would be a recipe. Uh, the name of the people that cr actually create the scents are called perfumers, and they work from a palette of ingredients. And so it's not really a patentable technology in, in, in the usual sense. And that would be costly um, because we supply a lot of different fragrances for, as I mentioned before, many, many different products, you know, everything from a lip balm, fine cologne to, you know, something that would scent, uh, you know, a, a, an industrial bathroom. So, um, so the way we protect our, our intellectual property is all of the fragrances that our perfumers create here at Agilex are the property of Agilex. And what we do is we sell those to our clients on an exclusive basis. So they have exclusive rights to buy a particular fragrance from us, but the formulation of that fragrance is, is secret and is proprietary to us. We don't make them available to anybody else. And that's the way we protect our trade secrets. Gotcha. Uh, what sorts of ingredients are used to make fragrance? Or, I mean, how many fragrances or ingredients might be on the palate uh, for a perfumer to use? And, and from whence or where do these ingredients come? Where are they derived? Um, an average perfumery, well, th there can be, there's thousands of ingredients. So I would say there's probably more than 4,000 different ingredients that can be used to the perfumer's palate. I think an average that most fragrance companies would draw off of would be about 2,500 different single ingredients. And they come from many different places. A lot of the things that we use are naturals or naturally derived, which uh, in, in many different processes, uh, you can do it from, there's many different processes to get those oils. And sometimes it won't be the entire, for instance, a rose oil, we may not just use the whole rose oil, it may be some of the chemical components of the rose oil that are isolated. Um, and sometimes uh, we get those ingredients, uh, they're, they're what's called naturally derived which means they're only a piece, but we get them from nature. And then some of the things are, um, are synthetic, and they are created molecules to mimic sometimes things in nature. Uh, there's a group of ingredients called nature identical, which means that in and of themselves, they are aroma chemicals, as we call them. They're not natural, but they are the same chemical composition as things that are in nature. So really they're both natural and synthetics and most fragrances are made from a combination of both. Gotcha. Um, Natalie, can you, in the United States, um, can you simply put any ingredient you want into a fragrance compound? Are there any you know, regulations or, or guidance for what can and cannot be put into these fragrances? Um, we are a self-regulated industry, uh, so there is no governmental overseeing of the fragrance itself. However, we have a lot of organizations that we use and that we subscribe to as an industry, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about those. Um, we there's something, and, and Agilex belongs to these, to these groups, 
Um, and it's costly for us as a company to do, but we want to ensure that our products are safe, as do most, most companies that produce fragrance in the United States. So, for instance, there's something called the Research Institute for Fragrance Materials, also known as RIFM. And what they do is they do all the they have a bunch of scientists, PhDs there, and they test all of the individual ingredients for safety on a whole bunch of different categories. And then they work cooperatively with uh, the International Fragrance Association, which gives out the guidelines on a yearly basis because as they continue to test, they find different things. And what they do is they issue guidelines for every single computer, consumer product that you could think of. So when we're formulating a fragrance, not only are we ensuring its safety in general, but we look at it specific to its use. So for instance, uh, a shampoo, which you wash off your, you know, wash off, would perhaps be less restrictive for certain um, for certain materials than a lotion, which you leave on your skin. So you want to stay away from certain ingredients because they're staying there, as opposed to say a candle, where you're really not touching a candle that's in a container at all. And so Agilex follows the IFRA guidelines is what they're called. And we're very strict about that. The way IFRA works is they will go out and actually audit products on a yearly basis. And if they find a product that has an ingredient it's not supposed to have or at a level it's not supposed to be at, if they get back to the company that supplies that, you will lose your membership within RIFM. You can't, you can't belong unless you're going to follow their guidelines. And so we, we, we are self-regulating in that regard. Well, I guess the, the self-regulation must be doing uh, a pretty good job, and it might make a whole lot of sense for industries you know, to take notice that, um, you know, in terms of self-regulation, uh, you know more about your business where the problems are oftentimes than the government does, and, uh, you know, it might be a testament uh, to self-regulation. Um, what does the term GRAS, G-R-A-S, or GRAS, what does that mean or stand for? Uh, GRAS refers to a term meaning generally recognized as safe. And what that means within the fragrance industry is for clients of ours that want to uh, have fragrances that may be ingested, for instance, uh, a lip balm or a lipstick where some of that product you actually may get into your system internally. Um, those we would sell as gross fragrances. Uh, it's just a different type of regulation. It would be safer for ingestion than some of the things that you may not want to. Um, we have other clients where it's not necessarily an ingestible that prefer to work off of grass, but what it means, it's another set of standards for particular ingredients. So um, that's part of the palette would be the grass ingredients. Okay. Joe? Sally, I'm curious. So I want to follow up on the um, RIFM, RIFM. Do, how would a consumer know? If someone, you know, you're buying a, a candle or a, a soap or a deodorant, how would you know whether the company that manufactured that is a member of this group and follows these guidelines? That's a great question. Um, the only way you really would know that is to ask the manufacturer of the product you're purchasing. And because we are RIFA members and we are very serious about safety, as are 99% of the companies involved in the fragrance business. Um, you know, if, as a consumer, 
I would only buy things from a company that are buying from RIFM members. Um, there are some smaller companies, you know, as I said, it's costly. So there are fragrance companies out there that don't belong. Um, although I would say that most, most do, but the only way that you can really find that out is to call the manufacturer of the product that you're buying and ask them. Would it be safe to assume that um, some of the larger corporations that manufacture a lot of these products would be buying from? Yes, all of the known names, anything that you would pick up in a large store. You know, some of the big box stores or the super, you know, the big chains, they would, they only deal with companies that do that. It's really more when you get into the smaller, more entrepreneurial things, you know, at flea markets or small gift stores, you know, niche products where you might have an issue. Yes, all of the big, all of the big uh, companies and medium-sized companies, they all deal with from houses. Thanks, Cliff. How does a fragrance manufacturer um, really improve the safety of their products? I mean, how do you do that? Well, the RIFM standard, the IFRA standards, are issued every year. So as new scientific evidence comes out from their testing, they adjust the guidelines. And then we have a period to transition over. And it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's about a year where, uh, for the, the people that we sell to. But every year, they, it's, it's a constant process where they're looking at, obviously. But every year, they issue new guidelines. And I can't tell you, I mean, there's 11 different categories that we formulate against. And when, within each of those subcategories, there's another 10 or 11. So it's very specific to the product, and it's done every year. So that's how we keep improving the safety. And sometimes things are, you know, banned. Not normally, and, and, and I should add that it's not just safety to people. The IFRA standards are also safety to the environment, which is becoming more and more important to the industry. Are the requirements different for fragrances depending on how they're going to use? For instance, you know, is it different? Um, are the ingredients different in a cleaning product or, uh, you know, for a body soap or, or, or when a fragrance is actually put on the skin and not washed off and, and left there? Are there different criteria for these different fragrance requirements? Yes, absolutely. Um, we believe strongly that what's important, and, that, and when I say we, we as an industry, it's really what is the end use. Because a fragrance compound, we, we, we defined the term fragrance in the beginning of the show, fragrance is a very small portion of any consumer product, but it's an important one. So if you're looking at, say, let's just say a liquid soap, there might be a quarter of a percent to a half a percent of fragrance in there. And our guidelines will go down to the levels as they occur in the finished product. And so, yes, it depends on what that is. It depends on whether it's a rinse-off or a wash-off. We take into consideration, for instance, is it on shaved skin? Is it on non-shaved skin? Um, as I said, there's, there's over, uh, let's see, there's 11 categories, 11 times 10. <laughs> is is how many different categories we look at, and they can be somewhat different. And it's absolutely dependent on the product type and the end use. I mean, Natalie, go ahead, Charles. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I'm just curious when you, um, you've got 110 categories, but I'm not sure I, I follow with respect to, maybe you can help me. Um, 
what are they testing with respect to safety for? Is it for ingestion, for absorption, for toxicity, for allergenicity? I mean, or, or all of the above? It's for everything that would be applicable to that particular use. So, for instance, um, you know, for a wash-off product, it's, it's, it's skin contact. Um, and there might be, and there are, it's inhalation, you know, for candles and for air fresheners. It's sensitivity if you're putting on a sun lotion, for instance, an FPF where, SPF product where you know you're going to be out in the sun or um, a regular lotion where you know it's staying on the skin. And it's, it's, it's the regulation of each ingredient in that fragrance and what level of that ingredient you can use for that specific application. Uh, we actually have a, have a text question that just came in, and I'm not sure whether or not you know the answer to it. Uh, I guess the first part, it's really a two-part question. The first part is the testing that's done on these materials, do they use... Uh, laboratory animals uh, to do it, I guess, is the first part of the question. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what? I, I can't really answer that. I don't know. Uh, we as a company uh, do not, uh, but I can't say what all of the different suppliers are, and I don't know what Rifm does specifically on some of these things, uh, but I would encourage uh, your audience, they do have a, a website, uh, I would either Google Rifm, I believe it's rifm.org, and they may be able to give more information on how they do the testing. Okay, perfect. Okay. Um, what are some of the benefits of, of fragrances? Uh, fragrance has a lot of psychological effect, um, you know, more than we may even realize. Fragrances can make you feel good. And fragrances can make you feel not so good. Um, sometimes we'll show a particular floral fragrance, and some people will love it. And for some people, it will have it will make them remember funerals because it's the lilies in the funeral parlor. So it's a strong. Um, it brings back strong memories. It can make you feel homey. And there are studies. Um, there's a whole, uh, you know, there's a whole field of aromatherapy where there's been a lot of studies, uh, and, and I was involved in this when I was at Revlon, where um, I didn't do the studies, but I was aware of them and worked with one of the companies that did them, where they actually uh, would would show the how the brain waves of, of people changed and how they got calmer or more agitated depending on the scent that they were smelling. Um, it can make you feel a whole bunch of different ways. They tell you when you're looking, um, to, you know, when, you're, when your home is for sale to put, uh, you know, uh, an apple pie fragrance potpourri up so that it smells like fresh baking and people feel homey and comfortable. Uh, the Japanese at one point were, were using peppermint in some of their office buildings to keep people awake. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's a, a real effect. And if you look out of the marketplace now, there's a lot of mood-based types of fragrances, and fragrances absolutely can affect your mood. Uh, you know, there's this anti-fragrance movement. Um, you know, you hear these ripples and so on and so forth. Do you think it's political or politicized? Uh, I have to say that, you know, be, having been part of some of it, I, I do think that there is some of that, and I think that 
uh, it has to do with the fact that it is, you know, by definition, a, a specialty chemical industry, even though we use a lot of naturals. And I might add, there's a lot of naturals that are not so safe. So such I as. think it's um, such as uh, one of the ingredients we use is called, you know, cinnamon leaf has an ingredient in it called um, methyl chavicol, and it's a carcinogen. Um, basil has saffron, which is a carcinogen. And so we can't use a lot of these things. And then there's a lot of uh, orange oil is a problem with biodegradability. So we belong to the DFE, or we have participated in Design for the Environment, which is a, an arm of the EPA, um, in order to come up with a criteria for green fragrances. And many of the citruses, we can't use orange oil at all because it's not biodegradable. So I think that... Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, there's a lot, and it's and for instance, and we've been the target of a lot of it. I mean, there's there's groups out there that say that the fra the fragrance industry puts fragrance on the label so that we can put all kinds of toxic things in it and not have to to uh, say what that is. That's absolutely not true. Um, we don't disclose our formulas because it's our it's our it's our livelihood. It's our trade secret. So I do think. That um, that it has been somewhat politicized. Uh, we, go ahead, Joe. I'm just curious. I'd like to go back for a second to um, different fragrances in different parts of the world. We had a guest on. Oh, it's probably a year ago now. Um, Dr. Rachel Hers was on. She wrote a book called The Scent of Desire. Mm -hmm. She talked about how, you know. A fragrance that might not, just like you said, you know, one person might not like the the smell of flowers, another person, uh, they smell great too. And do you mentioned that the Japanese were using peppermint, I believe it was, to, mm -hmm. you know, help people become, stay awake, I guess. Do you find that different parts of the world have significantly different tastes, I guess you would call it, with respect to fragrances? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are many cultural differences. Um, we're working on a project now uh, where, we, where we have a client going into uh, the European market. And while there are similarities between the different European countries, uh, there are also a lot of differences. And it's very different uh, from a lot of the things that we like in the American market. So, for instance, in, in the air care, in candles, things like vanilla and what we call edibles, which are exactly what that is, you know, del delicious desserts, smelling fragrances, cinnamon buns, and things like that, which is so popular in the States. You can't sell those in Europe. Uh, they don't like that. They're more into botanicals, naturals, and florals, and florals don't sell well in air care here. So there's that part of it, which is taste differences, and a lot of it is cultural, uh, absolutely different from country to country. You know, yeah, I just wanted to, to move back a little bit. Um, you know, you had mentioned uh, design for the environment, and actually I went on to the website, and I saw that, you know, you and uh, another, I guess, Mario Ananelli from your company you mm -hmm. know, were involved with this, along with a long list of, I mean, I was in, in, impressed by the, the companies that were involved, the size of them, and, you know, many that were uh, yeah, yeah, recognizable, but what's what have you come up with with green fragrances? I mean, are, are well, what we did 
what we did, Cliff, was um, there's a lot of green designations out there and a lot of companies are taking advantage of a consumer trend and they're doing it in a, not, in, in a, in a way that's not honest. They're just putting green on there. There is really no definition of green. I mean, what is green? Is it natural or is it environmentally friendly or is it uh, biodegradable? And so there was no real definition. And so we said... If we're going to participate in this, we're going to do it with uh, an authority. And the EPA started this Design for the Environment initiative um, where they asked a group of companies. They, they didn't solicit us in particular. They told us they were doing it. We were interested in finding a legitimate green uh, organization that we could align ourselves with for our clients. And what, the, what we did as a, as a, as a group of everything, customers and suppliers, as well as testing agencies, was uh, come together to come up with the protocol by which to screen the ingredients uh, so that we could designate them as green. And so we would, there was a, it's a whole bunch of scientific stuff, but what it really came down to was, okay, what, what, what level of this particular ingredient would be okay for skin, okay for aquatic toxicity, okay for inhalation and air, okay for sensitization. And while it really, it really was about green, it encompassed a lot more than that. And so it took us a couple of years to come up with this criteria, which I must tell you is only right now for household cleaners. Uh, we haven't gone past that. This particular protocol is the first one that DFE came out with and it, for fragrance. And right now it's just for household. Uh, you know, there, it's, it just got approved. So hopefully, you know, we're going to continue to take this into other product categories. Um, but it, it's a whole protocol by which we as an industry, just like I mentioned to you, IFRA and RIFM and how we formulate against those standards, it's the same thing, but this time it's really based on the environment. So that a company that displays the DFE symbol, that means that that product is uh, safe for the environment. Okay. Well, please hang on, Natalie. What we're going to do now is we're going to pause for halftime. Okay. And we're going to thank our sponsors. I would like to thank our association sponsor, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide a superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news, Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio. 
when you inquire about their services or products. Let's get back to our interview with uh, Cliff. You want to take well, We've got a couple of text sure. questions in here, Cliff. Okay. You want me to take one? Sure, John. Go ahead. I got. Uh, I want to try and reword this one from guest nine a little bit. Um, it says, "What is the relevance of fragrance acceptance to indoor air quality standards for commercial buildings? Uh, for except, for example, there's an 80% acceptance rule by ASHRAE, so that um, you know if 80% of the occupants are happy, it's somewhat of a you know good indoor environment. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about that, but let me kind of reword that a little, if, if I could, Natalie." Um, What's your feelings on, um, you know, there are some concerns that people who, you know, put these fragrances into a building without, you know, letting the people who are either working in the building or visiting the building know that fragrance is being used in the building. I mean, do you have any standards or guidelines for that, or does the industry have any standards or guidelines for that? Um, I, I would have to say no in the sense that, our customers would be the ones that would be that would have to uh, look into whatever those regulations would be, and whatever that that may entail, they would then if it if it if it required us to give them a particular type of fragrance, um, for instance, if they were in an environment where they wanted something that didn't have any I don't know any spice, just just to pick something out. We, or whatever regulation, a particular ingredient or chemical class, if they told us ahead of time what they needed, we can formulate, because everything that we do is custom, and so we could formulate around whatever requirements they would have, but we would not necessarily be aware of what those requirements would be, um, except knowing that it was going into the air or into an air freshening type of product, in which case we would employ the IFRA guideline for that category. Um, but we don't get involved with what the end user's um, requirements are unless they ask us to formulate against it. Joe, I'd like, I'd like to jump in for a second and make a comment and, and see if you and Natalie would agree with the comment or whether you, know, whether you would or you wouldn't. If 80%, I mean, you know, what that is, is if one out of five people was complaining about a product or a fragrance or something in a building, uh, I, I would suggest that that's a pretty high uh, dissatisfaction rate and that, okay. uh, you know, they would immediately change. And I, I would, you know, just, just suggest that uh, the, the satisfaction rate is, is probably much, much higher than that. Yeah, I have to say that for me, in general, I, I'm not aware of any of the customers that we supply for those types of things. Uh, not really aware of any kind of a complaint like that. Although we may not know that. To your point, Cliff, if that was happening, they may just change it out for something else. They may be complaining just simply because you know it's a horrible fragrance that people don't like. In which case, of course, it wouldn't be an Agilex fragrance. But if it was, it might just be something that people didn't like. Um, so I would agree that with that. The, the, the only issue we've had, which is not in, an, in an, say, an, an office situation, occasionally um, we'll have a customer who has uh, some plant, people who are working with the concentrated fragrance have a reaction. And, you know, we'll always look into that. A lot of times it's because that customer doesn't have the proper ventilation that you might need uh, to work with some of these products. But... Um, 
we don't get too many complaints in terms of what you were just saying, you know, that a lot of people don't like it. In that case, I, I think they would switch it out for something else. You know, I, I would agree that 80% is very low, that, and, and I agree that most building owners, if they had one in five people complaining, would uh, would probably do something. Although I guess um, there there are, after a certain while, you know, a certain point after you initially notice the fragrance, you know, when you first in, you start to become desensitized to it. Is that something that you work to? Um, I'm sure you you realize that, or maybe I'm wrong yeah. in saying that. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, okay. There's actually a term we use, a term for that. It's called anosmic, and um, that happens. Well, there's a couple of things that that entails. But when you become anosmic to a fragrance, it just means that it becomes like background noise, like white noise, and you're not a, you just are not aware of it anymore. And and really, the only way, if you see some of the consumer products that are out there now in air freshening, where they change fragrance automatically back and forth. You know, they go from one scent to the other. That's one of the reasons they do that, because once you change to a different scent, you won't be anosmic to the new one, and then you can go back, you know, and then when the old one comes back up, you'll be able to smell it. So you need to change to something new or walk out and get some fresh air, but otherwise it becomes just like background noise. Um, we, we hear the term a lot, or see it, uh, in media and literature, essential oil. What is an essential oil? An essential oil is a natural compound. Um, it's just one type of the naturals that are derived from plants. So, you know, things like ro- there's a rose essential oil. It's the actual essence from that rose. So it's just a particular component of the rose petal that's extracted in a particular way, and that's called an essential oil. All essential oils are natural. Okay. Joe? I got another quick text question here. Um, let's see. Does it happen where fragrance producers regulate, regulated by ingredient disclosure supply a product to industries not regulated by product disclosure? I'm not sure. I quite understand that. Do you? I'm not sure I understand that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if if a client asks us for, you know, we and we get asked for disclosures all the time, um, we normally will give out uh what we call a, a qualitative disclosure you know again to protect our our trade secrets with ranges of things um so i'm not sure where they're going at but we do have sometimes for various things our clients need disclosures and with the proper confidentiality agreements in place we will provide that cliff go ahead let me let me read read this and see if I can figure out how, <laughs> what, what exactly they're asking. I, I think it makes sense if I read it right, but uh, go ahead, Cliff. Well, I guess earlier in the interview, Natalie, you mentioned that a couple of ingredients were either banned or were no longer RIFM, uh, you know, a- approved or didn't have the endorsement, you know, to, to use them. I guess as a general statement, would you say that fragrances made today would be safer and would be more environmentally uh, superior than products that were made in the past, say 10, 15, 20 years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, As the science progresses, both in the in the development of of new raw materials, because that's always happening, but also in the regulation part of it, the self-regulation part of it that we do, 
Um, you know, we work in this industry, and we're all exposed to it all the time, so we want it to be safe, too. Um, you've got, as you mentioned before, thousands of people who are involved, everyone from the perfumers who are creating these scents to everybody who's involved in it. So, um, you know, we want the population to be safe, but we also have a vested interest ourselves. And uh, so abs- absolutely, and and certainly the environment uh, probably that's more recent in the in the, in the last ten years. That's become. I mean, safety for everything else has always been important to the environment. It's been you know been progressing and even more uh, taken more seriously. And we've been screening more importantly. So there's no question that what we have now is 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 safer than what we were doing ten years ago. I guess as a follow up question to that, if we went into your compounding area where your compounders are actually, you know, making the fragrances. I mean, are these guys in spacesuits, you know, <laughs> that are doing this? No, not at all. They're in uh, lab coats, and if they're working, anything that they're working with that is uh, dangerous in any way uh, for inhalation in particular uh, is done under a hood. Uh, and those types of items are used in, in, in you know, min- minuscule amounts. And we don't use many of them. Uh, they may wear gloves uh, for irritation, rubber gloves. But no, they're basically walking around in lab coats. And that's the people who are actually compounding. Uh, perfumers who create it, who are working with this stuff all day long. Some of them wear lab coats, some of them don't. But no, we don't have any types of requirements. And even in our plants... Uh, the guys who are compounding this, they're just wearing uh, uniforms just to keep their regular clothes from getting dirty. And, 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 and they can smell. You know, there's, there's sort of a, a distinct odor to a fragrance manufacturing uh, plant. They all kind of smell the same. It's kind of funny. Um, but, no, nobody's wearing any kind of hazmat suits or anything like that. You know, Natalie, I wasn't aware of this, but I Cliff put together a question that I and I wasn't aware, but apparently CDC has a, come out with a pretty strong anti-fragrance statement. Can you comment on that? Uh, it's 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 a policy that they came up with earlier in the year, uh, where they decided to take their buildings uh, fragrance-free, and they're really treating it as a, a disability for multiple chemical sensitivity. They're trying to um, really be sensitive to the small group of people, and, and it is a relatively small group of people that have uh, this chemical sensitivity, and generally it's not just to fragrance. I mean, they can be uh, sensitive to the smell of a new carpet or paint or anything like that, and so the CDC decided to uh, make it a, not have fragrance in the air and not have fragrance in the bathrooms or in urinal blocks, things like that, and asking people to be very cautious about what they're wearing. Um, They just decided to adopt that. Um, Now, that's not to say that in some cases, like with anything else, you know, people can be somewhat irresponsible. In the 80s, when I was working at Revlon and, and strong fragrance was the rage, I mean, you would be in a room and some somebody would spray on, you know, like Paris fragrance or or Giorgio, and your eyes would start to tear. That's that's really not happening so much anymore, but it can be invasive, similar, I guess, to cigarette smoke. So for some people, it's a problem. But the CDC decided to go to this extreme, I think, because 
they're just they're being sensitive to people with multiple chemi- chemical sensitivity. You know, I, I think that most, I would say the majority of the people uh, appreciate something smelling clean. And, uh, you know, I would say maybe the slight but proper and in, in good taste use of fragrance. I kind of wonder what some of those CDC facilities are going to smell like if there, there's, no, <laughs> you know, because I, I think most people don't realize how widely fragrances are used. But, you know, I guess it's it's going to be their problem, uh, not our problem. I guess we have a, a yeah, I mean, go ahead. I was going to say people, most people uh, don't really understand what a, a product that has absolutely no, fra- a truly fragrance-free product smells like. I mean, there are some out there and, you know, people who have certain sensitivities, you know, particularly lotions or whatever should use those. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is how a product smells without a nice scent to sort of mask, mask some of the waxy or fatty odors. And uh, years ago, um, I had a roommate, and loved, she loved this cream, and she kept telling me, oh, it's unscented, you know, it has no fragrance. And I, I picked it up, and I had just started out in the industry, and I took a smell, and I'm like, yes, it does. It has a light rose fragrance, but to her, that meant unscented. So you're right, Cliff. I can't imagine what some of these places would smell like with without any kind of sense at all, because some of them are just very light, just just to cover the malodor. I guess we kind of have a two-part question that was text texted, and I guess is there a gender bias in in fragrance acceptance? Um, yes and no. Um, certainly if you're talking about fine fragrance, um, you know, there is men's and women's fragrances and, you know, sometimes women will wear men's less often men will wear women's, but there's distinct tastes there. And, but when it comes to everyday products like a shampoo, a family shampoo, while we think as an industry that there's biases, it turns out that most guys will use whatever is bought at the supermarket, and 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 it's a fact that you know a lot. I think it's 80 percent, uh, maybe more than that, of these products are purchased by women. And you know what I found again, this was a sort of a Revlon story. We were launching a product, and I was very concerned about the fragrance we were looking at because I thought it was too feminine. And, you know, most guys just don't care. They don't even notice it that way. So I think that we're more aware of that than most. But I do think that there are some biases, but not as many as we we might think. Okay. Um... Yeah, that was text here, Cliff. You want to put that one in? Is there a difference between a masking agent, neutralizing agent, or as some may say, a pairing agent? Pairing? Yeah, P-A-I-R-I-N-G. I'm not familiar with that either. Yeah, I, I can't talk. To, I can talk to the first uh, the first two. That's a good question. Um, if you see masking, well, you may say agent, but if you see masking fragrance or masking agent, what that generally means is that it's a fragrance, a conventional fragrance. Maybe it's formulated in a way to cover a particular base odor or malodor, but it means that it's in there at a very low level. Masking means not with the intent of really scenting it. It's the same thing with unscented. Unscented may have a fragrance, but it's not at a level with the intent to scent. 
So, um, so it's a fragrance, but it's in at a very low level, which is more functional than aesthetic. Um, and there, but when you have a fragrance-free product, um, those generally have no scent at no fragrance per se, but they may have what's called a masking agent. I guess that's what he was asking. Masking agent can be a single chemical ingredient, which would be listed on the label. Um, Musk chemicals are very popular for this. They may see something on the label called uh, pentadecalactone or ethylene brassylate. Those are musk chemicals that are used to mask base odors. Odor counteractants are a combination of an ingredient that actually works chemically to bind with the malodor, and it may not have an odor of its own, or it may. It's a chemical compound that's designed to chemically work with the malodor, and it's often, if not always, used in conjunction with a fragrance. You know, I can add a little bit to it. In terms of neutralizing, typically what you're going to do there is you have to have a chemical change. A lot of products are sold as odor neutralizers. They really don't. There are ways to get a chemical change. For instance, chlorine has a very distinctive smell, and and you know it has a presence. There's a chemical called sodium thiosulfate that neutralizes chlorine, you know, chemically neutralizes it. So in terms of using the term neutralizer, I think we need to use it correctly. As far as the term pairing agent, you know, we, we've mentioned on the, on the, we have a little acronym that we've used on the show before, MUS, made up stuff. Uh, I think that pairing agent falls into uh, that category. Um, what about different states? The different states such as California and New York uh, have differing laws or policies on fragrance from the other states, Natalie? Uh, yes, there are. That's a whole other uh, area, which is um, the air regulation. So California uh, is, is, is the most aggressive with that with the California Air Resources Board or CARB, which uh, CARB, what they do is they uh, limit or, yeah, they limit the amount of volatiles that you can have in any in products, not just just the fragrance itself, but the total uh, VOCs or volatile organic compounds that you can have in fragrance is part of that because we do have you know volatile items in the fragrance, and um, so calif- that's uh, carb is California. Uh, there are many other states that have adopted similar types of regulations. So yes, most uh, different states have different regulations, and then there's. Uh, not on the necessarily on the uh, volatiles or air freshening. There's also regulations in some states about certain ingredients that are within that can be within fragrances, and their threshold levels for things like toys and you know children's products, things like that. So there are some different differing uh, legislations from state to state. Joe, I would I guess Natalie, my question would be what. Out of all the information we're talking about or anything maybe that we haven't mentioned, what's the most important thing that uh, you know who our listeners are? They do indoor environmental quality work, disaster restoration work, building science work. What's the most important thing for them and for consumers to know about fragrances? Let's start with just our, our listener base. What's the most important thing for them to know about fragrances? I guess the most important thing from an indoor air quality point of view is that fragrances are very safe 
in the sense that we are a regulated industry that takes safety very, very, you know, we take it very seriously, and we want to we want to have a safe product that gives the consumer benefit of improving the environment that you're in. So in your business, in the in, in indoor air quality, uh, after uh, any kind of a of a um, a drastic event like a fire or a flood, I mean, you have residual odors. And don't shy away from using scent to help clean those odors and help clean clean up the environment that you're in. Uh, fragrances are safe if you are uh, working with people who are, you know, interested in safety, which is most of the fragrance industry. I, I guess their one of their concerns would be, um, you know, obviously we want to clean up the source as much as possible, and I don't think you would argue with that. You know, we try to do our best to eliminate the source of the odor, the offending mm-hmm. odor. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Okay. I mean, I think that's what where a lot of the uh, concern comes in with respect to indoor air quality. And of course, you know, sensitive people, chemically sensitive individuals also we we are concerned about. But I think one of the things we really like to emphasize to people is, you know, fix the source first. Don't just cover it up. And I don't think you necessarily fix it. Okay. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like if you, if there's a medical issue, right, you can keep, whatever taking drugs or vitamins or whatever to deal with the to deal with whatever the symptoms are but you need to fix the source if you want to get rid of the problem so we're not looking to necessarily cover when i think about covering a malodor it's a malodor that you're not trying to find the source of but it's a malodor you're going to have in everyday life you know or a malodor that maybe you know is just a residual you've already taken care of the source and now you want to freshen up the environment I certainly wouldn't use it to mask a problem. I agree with that. Well, you know, from right. ex- you know, from experience, and you know, I would say it's it's difficult, if not impossible, to remove smoke odor from a building without using an odor counteractant uh, in, mm-hmm. in in order in order to do that. And you know, listeners of the program are pretty familiar with some of the issues that can occur with using ozone in terms of reacting with other materials and so on and so forth. And I mean, there are ways to do it. We can absorb it, but you know, using activated charcoal and so on and so forth. But when these odors absorb into materials or on the surface of materials, uh, sometimes the only way to to get rid of them is to kind of duplicate uh, what happened. Uh, what's, mm-hmm. what's that question say, Joe? Once the source is taken care of, how can fragrances benefit? And okay, I think we I think we just just covered that. I think you know what happens is certain materials can adsorb or hold uh, materials on their surfaces, and that's where proper use of uh, an odor counteractant uh, you know has been proven effective for probably over uh, forty years and millions and millions. Uh, of situations. That's kind of an interesting question with guest nine. Is it possible for a teenager to be fragrance free, Natalie? For a teenager? Right. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Yeah, I would say it'd be pretty. Uh, it'd be pretty difficult. No, no. Teenagers uh, generally are are pretty into fragrance and. Uh, even though we're still waiting for that male market to explode, I think this this young market may this young male market may help that happen with some of the products that are out there. But no, I don't think you can be fragrance free if you're a teenager. 
you know, where would you advise indoor environmental professionals uh, to go and learn more about fragrances and fragrance ingredients? I mean, any websites or any books or anything like that that you might suggest? Yeah, I mean, one of the other um, associations that we belong to, uh, which uh, has a website that has a lot of information uh, available, is called the Fragrance Material Association. It's a manufacturer's uh, organization. There are many of us that belong to. That's, uh, I believe that's fragrance.org, but it's called Fragrance Material Association. And they have a lot of, you know, information on fragrance. Uh, certainly the RIFM website uh, is, is another place where, uh, for safety concerns, they can see it. I should add that on that Fragrance Material Association website, um, you know, one of the things that we did as an industry, there's more and more pressure to disclose the ingredients. Uh, and, and, you know, we're trying to find ways to do that while protecting ourselves and the livelihood of, of the people who work in our industry without getting rid of the trade secrets. But what we did was we got together as, you know, a group of companies, and there is a listing of about 2,000 of the ingredients that we use um, uh, in air freshening in particular, it's listed on that FMA website if anybody is interested to, to take a look at that. Um, you can look at those. There's also something called Fragrance Foundation, and they have a website. Uh, I'm not sure what that URL is, but just Google Fragrance Foundation, and um, you will get that website as well, and they have a lot of great information, including books and things like that. Cliff, we're getting close to having to wrap this up. Um, do, do we want to add to go to Roundup or just ask a couple last questions? Um, no, I think if you want, Joe, we can just kind of um, just ask a couple last questions. That'll work. How about if I take one and you take one? Does that, okay. that work that, for you? That's fine. Natalie, I've just got a quick uh, question. What are, you know, what are the new trends, I guess, so, in, in fragrance uh, manufacture and fragrance uh, chemistry in, in the fragrance industry. What what can we look forward to in the future here? Uh, are you talking about olfactive trends or? Um, I guess just you know, Cliff had here diffusion. Is diffusion uh, one of the fragrance diffusion? Well, as an industry, we're always looking for different ways to deliver fragrance and uh, ways to diffuse it to get it into the air. That's usually through delivery systems. Um, Agilex is, is pretty big in that, where we come up with different vehicles to um, to help diffuse the fragrance into the air. Uh, we're working on a lot of water-based technologies. I, I would say that trying to find vehicles for fragrance that are less solvent-based and more water-based uh, and you know, trying to use materials in general that are gentler and and um, you know, as we as we continue to be safer and safer is is really where the industry is going. But in terms of diffusion, we're trying to work with systems that are less solvent based where we can. Well, I guess that would have benefits of you know flammability and probably maybe That's some true. cost benefits and and that yep. sort of thing. Okay. Yep. Well, we appreciate having you, Natalie. And before we go, we always like to ask uh, our guest a couple of questions. Uh, the first one, is there anything that you would like to add or any questions that we didn't answer or didn't ask you? 
Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, I think we covered a lot of a lot of different stuff. No, I think uh, I think I'm good. Okay. What is your company's website, and how could people learn more about uh, your firm? Uh, our website is <laughs> it's, it's www. Dot Agilex, A-G-I-L-E-X, F, as in Frank, or fragrance, A-N-D, F, dot com. Okay, so it's F and F, right? Correct. So, so it's, it's, it's actually fragrance and flavor, F and F dot com. So That's Agilex, correct. F and F dot com. Okay, Joe, why don't you tell them, uh, the audience a little bit about next week? Yeah, next week we'll have uh, we're going to have back Don Weeks, uh, CIH and CSP from up in uh, Canada, in Air Environmental. We're going to uh, go back to opine a little bit about our previous discussion on is the industry approach to IAQ uh, mold and green building science based. Uh, Don's got a little response to the show that we did on that two weeks ago plus we would uh, we're thinking of doing a little experiment with the open mic so if any of the listeners out there would like to uh, comment on that same you know, topic we're going to try this from time to time throw out a topic try and get a little more audience participation get some people to call in on the phone although we do thank the people that were uh, texting in today and have texted in regularly uh, thanks again for joining us and uh Cliff, do you want to sign out, or do you want me to do that? Oh, I can do that. I'd like to thank uh, today's guest, Natalie hinden Uh Before I go, I want to thank my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, our technical, technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, uh, Glenn Fellman, our IQ newsman, Austin Powers, uh, our engineer, but most importantly, you, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Call recording has been completed.